All right, so our questions are on the screen. Uh, we've, been, we've been walking through Luke through the last uh, three, three weeks, four weeks, something like that, uh, weeks now, and, uh, and we'll continue for, for a while. It's going to be a, a long journey uh, through this gospel, a worthwhile journey uh, through this gospel. So we covered the very first, very beginning, the theme of Luke, the purposes of Luke, why Luke was written. And I, should, should I dare to ask, can I ask why, the, why was Luke written? What was the purpose? Can someone say? Besides Kenny and Bill, who can say? Jake? Okay. For what? An idea of the gospel is certainty and have confidence and assuredness in, in the gospel. So he wrote it to the office of what you've been taught. Here are the evidences of your faith. And, and so we, we have that as well as for our certainty and for our confidence. Suck it up, guys. You're going to do a lot of talking in a little bit, okay? Look at her complaining. How come we can't answer? Jeez. Um, yeah. So, so we talked about that. Next week, we, the following week, we talked about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and, and they're going to continue in our, in our story this, this morning. Last week was, uh, was the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Annunciation of the, of the, the birth of Jesus to, uh, the, to Mary. And, and we'll, we'll reference the context of that just a little bit so we can continue to understand the story as we unpack our, our text this morning. Um, so speak just to, to Mother's Day this morning. Our, the, the title of our sermon, my, my sermon this morning, actually is God's Glory and Motherhood. And um, I usually wouldn't do that on purpose, but, but the text, I think, warrants it. Um, and not just the day, but, but also the text. Um, I've come to appreciate... Um, my mom's uh, more now than, than I did as a kid. I mean, Mother's Day was always cool, and we would do little things for my mom. But I, I can appreciate my mom now more than I did before. And, and the reason is, is because I see my wife, who gives everything for our children, um, there's, there's not a moment, and in fact, there's very few moments, if that, each and every day, that, that she just gets to sit down and do what she wants to do. She just doesn't happen. And to see that sacrifice daily uh, makes me appreciate my mom, who did that for me. Um, and to see that is amazing. And it's not just about the pregnancy. It's not just about the birth. I mean, that is now just a small part of, of the rest of the 18 years or more uh, in, in raising them and loving them and caring for them, uh, even, in those, uh, even in hard days, um, and in how they've cared for us and loved us despite us. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful to, to see that. I'm grateful for that gift that I, I see in, in my wife. Um, a few years back, uh, when I, w- I went to Louisville to a conference together for the gospel, it's a conference I, we go to every two years, been going for years now, and one of the, one of the panel discussions um, that, that day was, the question was, was raised uh, to, to this panel of leaders, Christian leaders and speakers and authors and pastors, and sometimes they're a combination of all, uh, just really great men that we look up to and, and we're really grateful for uh, that the Lord has sent, and and, and the question was posed to them, why should, why should we believe in the Bible? And, and the panel went through the questions, and, and they, they answered just wonderful answers, giving great evidences, you know, just glorious answers uh, uh, from these great men. Um, but the answer that I remember distinctively, that I remember distinctively given was by John Piper. And I mean, that's like, oh, of course John Piper would say it. But, but he, he said something that, that just, you can tell, was, and made everybody in awe in the whole place. And it wasn't profound. It wasn't like some new mystical insight that he found in Scripture that nobody, none of those other guys could see. And this is what he said to answer the question, why, should, why do we believe the Bible? And he said this, because my mama told me so. If my mom tells me that the Bible is true and right, what other evidences, what other truth do we need? It was enough for John Piper. It's enough for us. It's enough for us. That it does not matter 
You know, that if our moms were educated, if they had letters before their names, if they had a title or not, our mothers believed the gospel, if they did, and if they do. And if they taught us that the Word of God is God's Word and showed us in our lives that it is God's authority over her life, then what a joy that is. Is there a greater gift that can be given to us um, by God than our mothers who shepherd us to see the Good Shepherd? I'm grateful for that foundation that was given to me, um, that I grew up with the assumption already ingrained in me that the evidences of God and that he's real, he exists, and that the existence of Christ and the Bible. I'm very thankful for that because the Lord used those to do a, a greater work in drawing me to, him, to himself. And so that's my, my real uh, emotional introduction for all you mothers to get y'all ready to go, charged up, to our, to our passage this morning in Luke chapter 1. And, and hopefully a way that we can encourage one another, not just for mothers, but for all of us, um, to, to glorify God in whatever role that he has given us in this life and at this time uh, in, in, in our lives. So let's, let's look to Luke chapter 1 um, and start reading from verse 39. Verse 39. Story continues. He sa- it says here, it says, In those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Behold, when the sound of the greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what is spoken to her from the Lord. So the birth story continues, and just like any good movie or good story, the, the, the story just gets richer and, and sweeter and, and greater for us to see as it unfolds. The details, once again, right? I mean, you see the details that Luke is writing for us to see these details in the story and just marvel in them and how God has been richly working in these two ladies' lives. Previously, these, uh, both of these women, they had, they had previous experiences, right? It's almost like their, their lives were on a, a paralleled track, but, but separated to, to, deal and, to deal with the pregnancies on their own. I mean, even Ze- uh, Elizabeth, you know, there's Zechariah, he's old, he can't even talk, he can't hear. I mean, he, he, you know, he's not useless, but he certainly can't understand and communicate. And so there's these two women on these two roads that are paralleling. And it's almost like we're reading the story, and we're just wanting them to get together. Like, we're, we're wanting them to, to, to come together. And as the Lord has willed, he has brought these two women together. Two unlikely women, right? Two, two women of completely different stages. One old, in her older life, very mature, very experienced. And yet then we have this young teenage girl. Two different, in two different stages, but now both caught up together to share in the beauty of being favored by the Lord and to be used as His instruments to bring redemption, to bring redemption to the world. And we, somewhere down the line in salvation history, we, we can read these passages and we can rejoice in, in these two mothers. We can, we can look at these two mothers, not just as models of motherhood, but as instruments of grace and as testimony of God's faithfulness. What a great gift that we have to, to look back and to, to see them and to marvel in the work of God in their lives. And, and think about this. As, as I was 
you know, I was perplexed, not perplexed, but I was disappointed in myself that I didn't start Luke in like December. Like how good of an idea that would have been? And how dumb was I not to think of that until May? Well, April, but how dumb was I to think of that, right? And then someone's thinking, well, how can I, my timing is just terrible. But look at our timing today. I mean, Mother's Day, you know, kind of a hallmark holiday, right? And we, we definitely should, you know, do it and celebrate it. But in our passage this morning, we, we get to look at two wonderful mothers that God blessed and favored. And in his good providence, we get to do that on Mother's Day. How, how cool was that? It was good for me. It worked out great for me. Because it worked out good for a good sermon for everybody. So it worked out, worked out great to see these, these two women, how God has chosen to, to, to use them. Both of them, Mary and Elizabeth, both of, both of humble means, you know, humble means and the most unlikely of candidates that God chooses, the least, the least of the people, right? I mean, we, we would think that maybe instead of Mary, why didn't God choose like Herod's daughter or, or Caiaphas' daughter, the high priest's daughter? Wouldn't that have been a much better candidate? But God doesn't look on outward appearances. The Lord looks on the inside, and we see that from 1 Samuel 16, that, that the Lord looks not on the outside, not at the, the outside of man, not on outward appearance like we do, but he looks on the inside. He looks at the, at the, at the heart. And so it is in these two women that I, that I hope to show you this morning God's glory in motherhood. So this isn't a, a time for, for all of us to, to check out because I think for, for us brothers and for uh, and young ladies that, that there's much for you to, to gain as well as the same qualities of faithfulness are not just for moms but also for, uh, for all, all of us. So we, as we take up the, the story, um, it, it happens immediately after, uh, after our event that we talked about last week with the annunciation of, of, of the, the, uh, the prophecy of Jesus' birth coming, the conception of, of Jesus and, and Mary, the, the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, um, that, that, that when Gabriel announced the most wonderful news to uh, uh, to her, that the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, who would be named Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, would, would come immediately this passage takes place. So before it was like a six-month period, and now it's um, immediately it takes place. It says, in those days, meaning right in that time frame, not right in that time frame. She, she packed up what she had. She left Nazareth of Galilee. She went into the hill country of Judea, into the country with haste. We don't use that word very often, but we know what that means. It was a priority to her. It was, it was important for Mary to, to leave Nazareth. Remember the 12, the 14-year-old girl, to leave Nazareth and go out into the hill country, travel away, and go to see her relative, Elizabeth. She was in a hurry. She didn't waste any time. She didn't waste any time, so she arose, she traveled with haste, she was on a mission, she made the arrangements, and she left a distance somewhere around 100 miles. Now, we can do 100 miles in what we did yesterday, two and a half hours or so, two and a half, three hours. It takes about four to five days on foot in the first century to do something like that, if the weather's good, right? So, so think, four, five, six, maybe seven days later, she arrives at Elizabeth's home. Now her haste was not in, impatience, but rather it was an eagerness. It was an eagerness that Mary knew that if there was anybody in the whole entire world, if there was anybody on the whole planet that could understand her circumstance of what just happened and maybe even give some help, it would be her. It would be Elizabeth. And I think she was kind of taking a shot in the dark that maybe she would be able to help her or at least maybe be able to explain or be able to be with her and help her in those moments. And just like we see in this passage, this is one of the greatest and strongest passages that we see in the Scripture where two human beings come together and there's this great bond that it almost immediately happens. Immediately happens. And they would share this bond and this closeness over 
the next coming months. And I think it's a bond that's very unique. It's a bond that's given by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about more of that in a moment. And so they, they meet together. They're, they're meeting in this, this a greeting together. is almost like it, it absolutely should be part of the story, wasn't it? I mean, so dramatic, so full of life, so amazing. I mean, look back at verse 40. It says, and she entered the house of Zechariah. So she came into the home. She greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth! And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, right? Little John leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So when she entered the house, she gave the greeting, surprise visit, I'm here, I'm coming to see you. And with, before Elizabeth could get out a word, the baby inside of her, little John, responded before she could. That's amazing. Before Elizabeth could walk into the room, before she can even say a word, the baby responds first. Leaps with joy. Leapt with joy. Now, I don't know what that sensation feels like. Some of you ladies do. My, my wife just took... Lottie into the restroom, who happens to be the one who leapt the most of all. In fact, three days, was it about three days? Maybe a day or two before she was born, she, you know, babies come out head first, if you don't know, and then she leapt around, and then she was like standing up. So, and Christina actually can tell you, it's like she felt it. Like she felt, remember feeling this baby go, whoop, you know, flip around and and in, in, inside of her. So, so she, she knows. Y'all, y'all know. For most of y'all know when, it, when a baby is moving. But this baby, little John, leapt. Amazingly leapt. And, and, and here's the thing. Here, what we know, what they didn't know, is being about six months pregnant, John was about two pounds. Can you imagine that? He was, he was only two pounds. And here's this little baby leaping and rejoicing. Why is John rejoicing? Why is this baby, who was already filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way, why was he rejoicing? Well, first is this. That's what prophets do. Prophets rejoice at the good news of God. And when the good news walked into the room in, 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 in the womb of Mary, he rejoiced. He rejoiced. He, he rejoiced in this, this baby that was coming that he knew that he was preparing the way for. See, John's ministry started way before his birth. It started right there. In fact, it was starting to prepare the heart of his own mother. He was preparing the heart of his own mother that this coming king, hey, has already come into your home. He's, he's here and the Holy Spirit indwelling him brought this rejoicing and then it jolted Elizabeth to rejoice. And the second reason why he, excuse me, leapt was because he was just overcome with emotion and joy and delight in the presence of the Son of God. Isn't that amazing that a baby responded? Now, this is kind of a side note in the sermon but I think it's something worth noting that this passage helps us understand something very unique about humanity is that the Bible already assumes and it's so helpful in this way it assumes and it helps us to understand the personhood of these babies think about it God could have said the fetus leapt at the coming into the home of the little zygote like we would. No. The baby, the person of John, leapt, leapt in the, in the, in the womb. Leapt in the, in, in, in the womb. And, and we, we, even in our age of technology, where we get to see that, and we get to, we get to hear that at like six weeks, we can, we can see it at, 
at less, and, and in like 10 weeks and 15 weeks, we get, to, we get to see the humanity and the personhood and the amazing uniqueness of the glory of God and knitting human beings together intricately, beautifully in the womb every single day. And we can marvel at the fact. It's amazing and astounding to think about that as Elizabeth was six months pregnant, this, and, and, and she's in her second trimester, that John, being around two pounds, he was completely formed with every little part. He wasn't missing a thing. He had all of his fingers. He had all of his toes. You could count them. You could see his nose. You could see his eyes. He even had hair. Little John. Little John. In fact, if John was born... At that week, today in 2017, little John could have a, has a, 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 a great chance of viability today. If getting got to the right NICU, he could survive. The personhood of these babies. And then there was the other baby, the baby he rejoiced in, the, the little baby Jesus who's, you know, four or five days conceived. He had no form yet like John. But yet the Bible says, baby. Let's not, let's not miss those terms. Baby. Life. Person. Let's not miss the, the humanness and the humanity and the personhood of these, of, of these babies and of babies that are in the womb. Let's not get our words and let our language be hijacked as it's been used this biological uh, uh, lingo that we, we use, and it's helpful in the sense in the scientific way, but it's been hijacked to be used to dehumanize instead of making humanize, because now it's just the fetus. What's that? It's just the zygote. It's even worse. What is that? But a baby? I can describe that to Lydia. I can describe that to I can show I can show that to Lydia. And I, so I know that this is a is a, a a a side point to the passage, but even on this Mother's Day we must continue continually in our age to renew our prayer effort, efforts and support against the industry of abortion and let us be kind, tender, compassionate, merciful and grace-giving to those who have given into these pressures um, and and to share the gospel in, in kindness and the love of Christ. Uh, uh, to them and, and, and point them to, to the little baby that survived. The baby that survived that would die on the cross to bring forgiveness. And that's, that's what we point them to. That's the hope that we point people to who, who lose and, and believe the lies that have been fed to them. So John rejoices. The baby rejoices. The real person's that John rejoices in the real person of Christ as the little conceived baby. Elizabeth rejoices as well, right? He, he kind of prepares her to, to re- rejoice, and Elizabeth becomes overwhelmed with joy as she is filled with the Holy Spirit. She's overwhelmed in her human spirit, in her soul, that this same Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that indwelled John, the same Spirit that overshadowed Mary now causes her to come and bless Mary and rejoice in the Mary's arrival. She is crying out in verse 42, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This, this double blessing on her. And instantly, Elizabeth affirms, she affirms and blesses Mary, I think in the greatest and the highest of degrees. And in their, in, even in their culture, this is the greatest and blessed, best way that she can be blessed. I mean, think about it. She's a teenager. She's a punk kid. And here's this old, wise lady looks at her and says, blessed are you among all women. Like, that's just rare. That's just, that's just odd. Blessed are you among all women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Can you imagine in those moments how the heart of Mary must have just soared? How it must have, how it must have soared in, in understanding and seeing that right there, that, that, that she is blessed. 
in being blessed that the first time in seven days somebody vocalizes to her the reality of what has happened. How encouraging is that? That here you have this secret you're holding on to. You don't know how to share it because you know it could be a grenade that goes off. And God in His grace enables Mary to just, or uh, Elizabeth to can affirm her and bless her in what God has done. What great grace God has given in giving Elizabeth to affirm her. And all that worry, all that fear, that anxiety, and maybe how she was going to bring it up to Elizabeth and Zechariah just melted away. Just melted away without her saying one word but hello. Elizabeth was rejoicing, was rejoicing with her, and Mary was relieved. And then there's this in, in verse 45, this, this verse of that sounds like a, a beatitude in, in nature, but what it does for us is it, it, it contrasts the unbelief that she, she knows about her, her husband who is not speaking. Look what she says in verse 45. Not a, not a jab at her husband or anything, but it's a, it's a rejoicing in her belief. What does it say? And she, and blessed is she who believed, who believed that there would be a fulfillment what was spoken to her by the Lord. She speaks this beatitude, or blessed is she. So not only was Elizabeth, Zechariah was, I think, celebrating with them, rejoicing in the faithfulness of God in Mary's faith, but also the Holy Spirit was overshadowing all of them and celebrating Mary's faith as she believed and submitted to God's will. I think one of the, the points here, and I'm going I'm to really drive it home in just a minute, but I think what we see there is we can celebrate with one another. And we can celebrate with one another our, each other's victories despite even our own failures. And so here's Zechariah, who disbelieved and is facing the consequences of his disbelief, and yet they rejoice. And yet they rejoice. And the reason why we can do that, not in, we can put away jealousy, and we can rejoice in other people's victories despite our failures, is because we have the same Holy Spirit. The Spirit that, 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 that re brought about re rejoicing in them is the same Holy Spirit that would bring about rejoicing and celebrating with us to encourage our faith. Amazing and wonderful that God would give us such a, such a great gift as that, that God would ordain that we as His people would be encouraged to continue to live out our faith by the encouragement of the faith of others. Amazing. And then there's how Mary believed. We're going to talk about this next week, but you can see there in verses 46 through 55, her, her response to, to Elizabeth's pronunciation over her and the blessing over, over her and how she rejoices, not really in Elizabeth, but she magnifies and exalts the Lord. She magnifies and she exalts in, in, in the Lord. And these two things go together well. We're going to talk about these in, in two weeks. Amazing. And now her faith is, is on display in how she responds. Blessed is she, verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Faith. Belief. It's what we've been talking about the last three or four weeks. And this is one of my first points here of, of how do we, how is God glorified in motherhood is that we believe in faith. That mothers believe in faith and live in faith and act in faith and trust in faith. So let's unpack faith for a moment. Faith is more than just an intellectual belief. It's not just saying, okay, I believe that as if it's a, a fact. Right? Faith isn't believing a fact that came out of a textbook or a, a, a newspaper. 
but faith is more. Faith is more. It is, it is belief plus trust. It's belief in, in those facts, in those truths, and then trusting that they are real and true. So Hebrews 11, 1 puts it like this. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? The, the, the belief in the, the things that we are hoped for, the assurance of things, and then we're trusting with a hope of those things that are unseen. So faith is, is right belief plus trust. And we see this pattern throughout Hebrews 11. We're not going to unpack Hebrews 11, but you see that. You see that in each and every example that's given in Hebrews 11. And it's the same pattern that we see in Mary. It's the same pattern that we see in Mary. Faith, or faith is belief and trust. Right? So first, she, she believed. She intellectually believed what Gabriel said to her. Gabriel told her that this was what was going to happen, and this is how God was going to do it, and she believed. She, she believed. She believed that the, the virgin birth was absolutely possible, even though she has no clue how God would do it, except for the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. She believed that it would happen, and she did not doubt. That's step one of faith. She believed. The second one is that she trusted then she, she then banked her whole life into that, into that promise. She trusted her whole life into that promise. And we see how that worked out. Because what did she do? What did she do? She submitted her life unto it, didn't she? See, in a sense, she just said, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever that is said of you, let it be done to me. So second, she, she trusted. First, she believed. Then she, then she trusted. And third, she submitted. We talked about that last week. And in a sense, faith has a lot to do with just passively, passively trusting and passively putting all of your assurance and peace in the Lord. It's a, it's a cease striving moment. It's stop being anxious. Do not fear anymore. Have hope in the things that are unseen and trust in the promises of God and rest in it. So really, there's, we get the two steps, and it brings to a, a, a passive assurance. And then that fourth, the last one, what did what'd she do then? She acted. Bill called that activity, that submission last week, obedience. And that's what I'm going to call that this week, is that it was obedience. So here's, here is faith. Out of that passivity to trust in the Lord doesn't lead to stagnity and do nothing, but it led to obedience, active obedience. And what did Mary do? What did Mary do? She got up and she left in haste to the hill country to find Elizabeth. She acted in faith and left, trusting in the Lord, in the word of the Lord, that what he said to be true is true. So what a great example that has been set before us of what faith is. And these four ways of what, what, how, how we exhibit God-glorifying faith. What a great God-glorifying example we have been given to us. What an example Mary gave to her son. We talked about that last week in the response. That the first example of faithfulness would have probably came from his mom. Just as we said in the, in the very beginning. Because my mama told me so. Belief and faith. God glorifying. This is what it looks like. This is faith. Is there anything else? Is there anything else, mothers, moms, that we, could, that we can exemplify before our children than this kind of faith? this kind of trust, this kind of belief and passive assurance and then active obedience. We, we know what the world thinks you should leave them. 
We, we know what the world thinks that you should, you should give your kids and what should be, well, you know, that's the greatest purpose is make sure that they can go to college or be an athlete. But what does the Word of God lay before you? What a, what a responsibility. And now, you, you can't give your kids faith, though, right? That's a gift that is only given to, to the Lord. But, but through your faith, the example of, of, of your faith, you can pile on your children this kindling that is ready to be sparked by the Holy Spirit that can ignite by faith in the Lord. By His grace, can give them faith. That's all we do as parents. As we just throw more kindling on the fire waiting for the Lord to ignite, trusting that the Holy Spirit would do so. Belief, trust, passive assurance, a calm assurance, activity, obedience. They seem kind of contradictory, right? The passive and the, and the activity. Because how can we be passive and active at the same time? And I think that's the beauty of faith because we're trusting in Christ, we're resting in Christ. And it's by Christ then that we have this gospel-centered, Christ-glorifying obedience. You see, obedience to the Word of God and obedience in our our lives toward the Word of God and pursuing holiness in in the Word of God is is a fruit of true faith. We We can go to James. Faith without works is what? Alive and kicking in America. No, it's dead. Faith without works is, is dead. The, the fruit of faith is obedience. You, you cannot tell me that you believe in Christ, but you, you, are, you are disobedient in, in every way, and you're unrepentant. There's, there's, there's no faith there. It's dead. And that's how these these things intersect so lovingly by the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of, of, of a believer. The obedience to the Word of God is the, is, is the fruit of, of, of true faith. And this obedience is, has, has works itself out in joyfully serving one another and, and in the church. It's caring for one another. It's correcting one another. It's disciplining one another. It's serving one another when they need help. It's being there. It's praying for one another. It's gathering with one another, it's encouraging one another, it's challenging one another, it's studying the scripture with one another, it's meditating on the word of God with one another. So as we walk through this account this morning, in these past two weeks, it's been a lot about Mary, hasn't it? And we've seen underneath that, below that, the work of God and the faithfulness of God. And, and I want to I point a another really good, really big point here of the faithfulness of God to Mary. And it's not just Mary that we're looking up to. We're looking up to the Lord and how He has been working in this story and how He's been working in in our lives. And and this is how God has cared for Mary. So my my first point, right, was about how God would be glorified is that in in, in motherhood is by faith. And the second one is, is how God is glorified, and that is how he has cared for moms. And what a great example we see here, how God has cared for, for these two moms, for these two, these two mothers. Right? We, we alluded earlier that the only one on the planet who would ever truly understood Mary was Elizabeth. And, and God told Mary to go to Elizabeth or told, him, told her about Elizabeth, and she went. And, and then what happened? Elizabeth affirmed her. And, and Elizabeth wasn't... And, and it, I think we need to kind of see more in this passage because it's not just about this one moment. She was there for three months with Elizabeth. Mary was with Elizabeth for, for, for three months. She was an older, wiser, faithful follower to, to the Lord. Yes, they had many things in, in, in parallel with one another, but who else in the whole entire world would have a greater, more intimate knowledge and understanding of the coming Messiah and the forerunner before the Messiah than Zechariah and Elizabeth? 
I, I can't imagine uh, uh, Zechariah doing nothing else but for those last six months but caring for his wife and searching the Scripture to know the Messiah and to understand the story. And then here comes the, the girl who is carrying the Son of God and how they must have discipled her. This wasn't about God just getting Mary out of town, but it was God caring for Mary by putting people in her life that would shepherd her and care for her and teach her and, 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 and strengthen her and encourage her. God's loving care over her. Can we see, can we recognize what God is doing for this young mother? That he put them together where, where she was linked with people of, of a mutual belief, mutual experience, and a mutual hope. And God took care of her. So can you see where I'm going here? How God cares for mothers? God's still doing it. And, and, and the same, it's kind of the, the same template. It's through the church. It's through the church. How God cares for His people, how God cares for mothers is through the church. That is how God cares for you. Yes, Mary's faith was, was great, but if she just continued to fly solo, she probably would have failed. But God gave her people who would love her and care for her and disciple her. God gives us the church. And we must purposely place ourselves deep within the fellowship of those who believe God's Word. Mothering continues in the church throughout intentional discipleship of, of other women as well. Titus 2, verses 3-5 through says, says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working hard at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. You know, we're blessed. We're small, but we're blessed. We have a multi-generational church here. We have every facet of, of group of people here, of, of different areas and different places in, in life. We have, we have girls, we have young women, we have, we have, you know, newly married, newly, newly marrieds. We have soon-to-be marrieds. We have been marrieds, been, been marrieds, been, 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 been marrieds. Can you see the gift in that? Can you, can you see the gift that God has sovereignly put us together to be in community for these purposes that we just read here? And I'm, I'm going to read it in context for, 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 the, for the women, for, the, for our mothers, as it says to teach what is good. In the context in Titus 2, it talks about teaching sound doctrine. Another, another quote by John Piper, my wife told me this one from a conference that she went to, that weak theology makes weak women. Teach sound theology. Women, learn theology. You're more than capable. It's not just for me. It's not just for your husbands. It's for you. It says also for you to train the younger, the young women to love their husbands and their children to be self-controlled. That doesn't happen by itself, by the way. You know that, right? Like, we need to see that, see examples. And some of us, we've been blessed. We've had families where, where our mothers before us have shown us how to do that because they loved us well. That's not the case for everybody in here. Maybe you're it. Maybe you can shepherd that young woman, that young married, how to love her husband in a way that will glorify God to be self-controlled. Oh, do we need to be self-controlled, don't we? To be pure. How to work at home. Now, as a dude, I can kind of be like, hey, let's talk about that for a while. 
I want to give you an example. I remember when Christina and I were about ready to get married, and there was a, a wonderful family in Port St. Joe, Florida. Miss um, Becky Norris just took Christina under her wing and taught her how to cook. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. She still uses those recipes today. And, and, and I mean, as, as kind of laughing and thing that could be, how that was biblical. Showed her how to do these things, how to work at home, how to be kind. Can you see that? To be kind. How to be kind. To be submissive to their husbands. And then all with us, with the purpose, all of that, to have the purpose that God would not be reviled. That God, what a, what a glorious role that each of you play. Not just in your homes, but, but as the mothers and future mothers are, are gathered here, the, the role that we play in each other's lives and how you play in each other's lives. So understand what I'm saying. I'm not advocating that we, you know, somebody raise their hand and be the women's minister. Nope. Or we start a women's program. Nope. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is older women, our younger women need you. Younger women, our older women need you. They, they need you in each other's life, even if you won't even admit it. I'm like, I, I don't need it. The Bible says you do. It says you, you need that discipleship just from one another. We need that encouragement. You need that bond, just like Elizabeth had with, with, with Mary, so that you, as sisters you would grow together in this bond that is great, that it's not mother or mothering or even womanhood that you have in, in common. Those things are great and they're gifts of God, but that's not what you have in common. What is great is the bond that you have in the same Holy Spirit that indwells in you is what unites you together. That's what brings about discipleship. That's what brings about love. That's what brings about that kind of care. That's what brings about that kind of teaching. It's the Holy Spirit. So here's the point that God has cared for us as He cared for Mary and Elizabeth and each other. He has cared for you. So I want to leave with this last point not leave, but be done. That the gospel, and I want this to be an encouragement, that the gospel unmarginalizes motherhood. The gospel unmarginalizes motherhood. God, in his good providence, he took these two mothers and he accomplished his sovereign plan. Like I said, we we're just way down the line uh, from them. That your role then as, as women your role as mothers, as wives in the church is not marginalized a part of the church, a part of the body of Christ? Or is it small? It's not small in the life of the church. It's not little. It's great. We, we said from the beginning that this is one of the this is one of the themes of Luke, that, that Luke takes the, the, the downcast of culture and society and, and lifts them up and says, see, God cares for you too. And we see that in this story. I think it's pretty safe to say that in our culture today that, that motherhood, even though we have a day dedicated today for mothers, is, is pretty marginalized. It's, it's seen as a, not as an important role. It's more of a, more of a side role to, to whatever else is in your life. That, that, that really can't be what defines you. You've got to have all these other things. And so there's this constant struggle and pressure, I think, for many women and moms who are trying to fulfill 50 different roles and trying to find identity in all of them and never finding any kind of peace or joy. I think abortion also has marginalized motherhood. The pressure to be something that they're not. To pursue a career as being what to be your identity. I mean, how many generations of women have believed this lie that, that that's what's going to define you? And also those others who, who then even believe that motherhood is your identity, that the, my kids are wrapped around my, my children. And so they've got to be perfect. 
Or I'm the biggest failure ever. And if I'm the biggest failure ever, then what use am I to anybody? You see the faultyhood of we always want to try to find our identity in false idols, even things that seem to be good and even worthy. The pressure that is put um, on you all, I think, comes a lot from, from men, too. And sin has truly marginalized your roles and marginalized motherhood. But where sin has marginalized, the good news of the gospel is that it unmarginalizes it. It's like what we've been, we've been talking about, the roles of mothers in the, in, in the church and, and the role that you play in your own children's life and the role that you play every day in the life and the battle of faith. That it is through the gospel that, that mothers can experience freedom from sin and from culture's lies. That motherhood with every small work of self-sacrifice is not for you or just for the child, but is done for the glory of God. I, I try to encourage my wife that with every diaper we throw away, the thousands of them, that is just another mark of faithfulness of serving the Lord. And that the Lord knows. It seems so meaningless, it seems so marginal, marginalized by the world, that it's small, that it's not a, that great of a role, but the gospel doesn't. And, and also, the gospel for those who are, those women who, that may be infertile, that they can experience motherhood through the church, mothering and caring for others, tell me, Right there, how the gospel does not restore motherhood there. I can say this just real quickly, mothers, do not underestimate your role as a mother in this church. And the importance of your role, do not neglect it as well. You have a very important, vital role that I cannot play. You have very important, vital roles. Do not neglect it. So how is God glorified in motherhood? Two ways, by faith. By faith. Belief, trust, passively assurance in God and trusting in Him. It's we're just resting in Him and then our active obedience, that's faith. And the second is, is to lean into God's intended care. Lean into God's intended care through, through the church. Let's have continual faith in the Lord and all that He is doing and accomplishing through his word, and that your role as mother is not marginalized in the eyes of the Lord, but the gospel has elevated your role, and in this church, I pray that we will not marginalize that role, but we would be encouraging to one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness to us and for your care to us. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us more and more through your word how to love one another, care for one another, encourage one another. Empower us by your Spirit to have greater faith and belief and trust, and to be obedient, and that you would be glorified in all these things. And so we pray that for your glory, in the name of Christ, amen.